Welcome to the Creekwood Church Podcast. Summer is in full swing and there's so much going on at our church. Be sure to check the events section of our website or the Creekwood Church app to stay connected this summer. We hope this message inspires and encourages your faith. Enjoy. Welcome to Step Up Weekend, man. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. But more importantly, I'm excited that your kids are here because, man, we have made it as fun as possible. I don't know if you noticed when you walked in, we got balloons here. There's a photo booth out there. Your kids have walked into their classrooms with special things happening like it happens every week. We got balloon animal artists out after service. I mean, come on, y'all. We got free iced coffee and donuts for everybody after service today. And it's a whole lot of fun, but the reason it's fun, and I don't want you to miss this, it's simple. It's because kids matter. They matter. And more than anything, I want kids to walk into this church and go, oh my, wow, they they, they thought about me. It matters to me. I could belong here. Because when kids feel like they can belong, it's a lot easier for them to believe. And I, I want you to realize this before we jump in, man. I, I, I love Next Gen and I love, man, seeing so many of you in here with your critters and kids' t-shirts on, getting ready to go serve in our next service. But I, I don't know if you realize this. Maybe you don't know a ton about our Next Gen ministries here as a parent. How many parents we got in the room, by the way? Even parents of adult children, all right? You're a parent still. I don't know if you realize this about our next gen ministries, but your kids are next door, all right? So you're sitting in here distraction-free, I mean kid-free, And you have volunteers next door with your kids. Maybe they're meeting their small group leader for the first time. Or in kids' church, they're getting introduced to Mr. Bill. He's an incredible character that teaches them about God's truth. Maybe they're in middle ground and they're they're starting to engage in community and they're starting to learn, man, hey, I'm not the only one a part of this world. The world is a lot bigger than me. But parents, what I want you to realize is that there are volunteers in these ministries. And they're volunteering not to babysit your kid. Babysitting is a cuss word in Next Gen Ministries. But instead, they're there because they believe the simple truth that a kid matters. And so they've taken their time and they're leveraging their time for one purpose, to make sure that every kid that walks through that door knows Jesus loves them, that Jesus made them, and that he has a purpose for them. So today, as we have kids step up this weekend, Creekwood Church, what I want to do with you today is simply say the same thing. It's time for us to step up. Because today I want to challenge you. Today I want to use my time. I want to leverage my time with you to challenge you, to remind you, to keep it in front of you that, hey, every single one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, whether you have kids in here or not, You have a mandate to look at those coming behind you to make sure that the generation coming behind you knows the things that you know. And so today, we're going to jump right into Galatians chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. But Galatians chapter 6 verses seven through nine is where we're gonna be uh, taking a look at this morning. But every time I read this passage, I can't help but think about the next gen. I can't help but think about kids. I can't help but but put that into into my my brain. Every time I I read this passage, it's what I think about. And I know 
In context, that's not what it's talking about. I realize that. But I think it's really great to look at and, and see what the Bible says here. Because Here's what the author says. He says, do not be deceived, for God cannot be mocked. He says, a man reaps what he sows. He says, whoever sows to please their flesh from flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So let's pause for a second because I think it's important for us to make sure that we identify what's happening in the passage. So we know, especially as Christians, there are really two paths that you can take, correct? There's the path that you can say, hey, I don't know if I want this God thing. I'm, gonna, I'm going to please my flesh. I'm going to go after the things of the world. And here's what we know as Christians, that that path leads to destruction. That path leads to unfulfillment. That path leads to this feeling of being lost. But then there's the other path. There's the God path. That when God gets a hold of your life and when God saves you and when you decide to live a righteous life to him, that that is different, that there is life found in that life. There's two different paths that you can go. And every time I read this passage of scripture, that's what I think about. That's the context I put it in my brain when I'm thinking about next gen, when I'm thinking about kids and students, they have two paths in front of them. Where are they gonna go? Where are they gonna go? Then he says in verse nine, let us not become weary in doing good. Let's not become weary. Let's not grow tired. Let's not grow complacent. Let's not grow unaware. Let's not grow tired of doing good. Parents, how, how many of you ever been tired before? <laughs> Coaches, teachers, anybody that's ever spent any time with a kid before, I know you've gotten to that place where you're like, is, where are their parents at? My goodness. Let us not grow tired in doing good for at the proper time. At the proper what? The proper time. It's going to be really important for us today. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. At the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. There are two truths that coexist in our world today, and both of them are true at the same time. The first is a really simple truth. It's that no one has the potential to influence a kid like their parents. Parents, there is no one in the world that has the potential to influence your kids like you do, which is why the greatest gift that you can give them is a passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ, to be so full of God and to be living out that love of God every single day because you are the number one influence in their life. But there's a second truth that coexists in the world and it's, it still remains very true. It's that a parent is not the only influence a kid needs especially as they get into middle school and to high school, especially as they get into their young adult life. They're not the only influence a child needs. That's why we believe in the church so much. That's why we believe in a community of faith because the powerful thing, there is nothing more powerful that we can say to parents than, hey, you don't have to do this thing alone. You don't have to do this thing alone, but we have a challenge. The challenge is this. We have a limited amount of time to influence a child, a limited amount of time. I brought my jar with me today. It's got 936 marbles in it. 
936 marbles because from the time a child is born to the time they graduate high school, you have 936 weeks with them. 936 weeks. And then they leave you. Parents, I don't know if you realize that, but they will leave you one day. Some of you are like, praise the Lord. Some of you are reaching for your tissues. Okay, we got all kinds of parents in here. 936 weeks from a time a child is born to the time that they graduate. And I love this illustration, man. When, our, when we have parents go through child dedication, we give them a jar just like this. It's a little bit smaller. We, we count it down to the months because this is a giant jar to send home with them. But we want them to know this and we tell them, hey, put this in a place that you see every day. And when you walk by it, as the weeks go by, as the months go by, we want you to take a marble out of the jar as a visual reminder that, oh my goodness, that week is gone. That month is gone. And the unique thing about this jar is that it's this giant countdown clock and it reminds you that every week matters. It matters. Now, this isn't a new concept, all right? We got, we've got uh, Moses in Psalms, Psalms 90, 12. He said this, he said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So we know from early on that time was very important and that we have a limited amount of time and that what we do every single week matters. So what happens when you put a number on the days that you have with your kids? What happens when you put a number on the days that we have to influence the next gen? It's this visual countdown clock. The lower that it gets, as time begins to tick away, the more focused that you become because you realize that time is important. And if you're not careful, all of a sudden, if you haven't paid attention, they're all gone. How many of you in here have uh, your, your parents of teenagers? Any parents of teenagers in here? All right. We have any parents of ninth graders in here? Okay. Parents of ninth graders. I want to show you this because uh, this is uh, really, really interesting. Parents of ninth graders, this is what you have left. This is your jar. I know. Oh. There's about 200 marbles in here, 208 weeks from the time your kid enters the ninth grade until they're graduated. And... I show you this because when you see how much time you have left, it changes things. But things start to move pretty quickly as they get into ninth grade because the first 10 weeks they get into ninth grade, they're starting to adjust to this new school. They're trying to figure out, hey, where, where do I go? Where are my classes at? Where are my friends at? Am I going to have the same friends that I had in middle school and elementary school, but I don't have classes with them. And so now they're starting to find their tribe. 10 weeks are gone. Then 20 weeks in, they start to take, they're going to take their first midterm exam, all right? This midterm exam counts 30, 40% of their grade. It's going to really affect their GPA, which is going to affect some really big things. And depending on how good or how not so good that went, they're going to, at this point, decide to keep Stanford on the list or take it off, okay? <laughs> About 50 weeks in, uh, most of these students are going to go to the DMV and they're going to get their driver's license, Okay? And at this point, you're going to find out as a parent what your faith is really like. <laughs> About 75 weeks in, most of these kids will get their first job. They will cash their first paycheck, which, by the way, will not save you a dime. All right. <laughs> in most cases, it will actually cost you money. All right. It's fantastic. 
about 100 weeks in, uh, their junior year kicks in and things start to take off at warp speed at this time. They start growing facial hair in some cases. They start going on dates by themselves in cars alone. And then parents, you're going to really try and figure out what, how, how in the world can I pray? Does God really hear me? Things start to move really quickly at this point. 130 weeks in, they will take their SAT. Over half of them will retake their SAT. (laughs) It's just part of it. Before you know it, they will be signing up to get their cap and gown. And then all of a sudden, before you even know it, they are walking down the aisle and there you are standing there. And you've lost all your marbles. Here's the principle. Here's what I don't want you to miss. When you see how much time you have left, you tend to get serious about the time that you have left. So what does that look like in your world? With a four-year-old or an eight-year-old, a 12-year-old or a two-year-old or an 18-year-old? Because the Second thing is also very true. When you see how much time you have left, you tend to value what happens over time. Because you realize the beautiful thing about this illustration is that we know, hey, every week matters, but there's something else that happens here. There's something else that you realize that, man, I can't do it all in a week. That there is this collective momentum that happens when I add this week to this week to this week. And it makes a different kind of impact when I can leverage time. See, time now becomes your friend. Time now becomes a platform that you can use to make a different kind of impact in a kid or a student or a teenager. Because when you see how much time you have left, You tend to get serious about the time you have left. You see, there's this funny thing that happens when you're doing something that you don't realize it's happening when you're doing it because you're in the moment. But what you're really doing is you're making history. Church, we are making history with the moments and the times that we are spending with the next generation. Are we making the right kind of history? So we realize that it's not one week, it's not one lesson, it's not one moment that changes a life. It's a collective effort. So Creekwood, as kids all over this church step up, I want to challenge us to do the same thing, to step up, to see the time that we have with kids is different, to not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. What would it look like if we were a little bit more intentional with the way that we viewed time? What would it look like if we were a little bit more intentional about the way that we leveraged time? What would it look like if we were a little bit more intentional about sharing the stories and the moments and the words and the redemption that we've experienced in our own lives because of what Jesus has done in us? What would it look like So today I want to share with you a couple of things that we've learned about the next gen and how if we will use these things and leverage them over time, it will make a different kind of impact. Now, I want to warn you before we jump into these, some of these, you're going to be like, wow, that was obvious. Did you even study, bro? Like, I I understand. (laughs) 
but just go with me. Just go with me. The first one is simple. And again, I know, look, I know, I know this is not going to be like, wow. But look, the Bible is thousands of years old, okay? Just saying. The first one is this, it's love. Love. And I know you're like, duh. Supposed to love a kid, wow. Great one, Matt. I get it, I know. But let me ask you a question. How do you know that God loves you? Seriously, though. How do you know God loves you? I know, I know John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, so we would have eternal life. I know that, I know. But how do you know God loves you? Because here's what I know about all of us. Our life was a mess. It was broken. We were lost. We were full of something we couldn't fix ourselves. And what happened is that you start to, started to experience a God that showed up again and again and again in your life. And he said, I don't care what you've done. I'm right here. And all of us in this room, man, we, we, we've experienced this testimony. We have this testimony that we know that God loves us because he kept coming after us even in our darkest moments. And as Christians, you know how we know that God loves us? Because we can flip through the pages and we, look, we can look at story after story from time to time, from generation to generation. And we can see this narrative played out in the Bible. And we can see this platform that God used to leverage time to show us how much he loves us, that he was in pursuit of a relationship with us. That's how we know. Well, guess what? Here's the point. Have you ever wondered why God didn't solve the sin issue in the first 24 hours? You know, like with Adam and Eve, like why didn't he just be like, okay guys, like let's fix this right now. Why did he let it go on? Because he could have. Why, why didn't he just fix it? No, instead, God leveraged time and he used time as a platform to show us over and over again, story after story, generation after generation, so that at the right time, and we didn't think things could get any worse, that we didn't know where we were going to go at the right time, at the right moment, he sent Jesus to the earth to be the personification of his love so that we understood the depth of his love and it would be a powerful demonstration. And he leveraged time to show us how much he loved us. You know how you love a teenager? Same way. You know how you love a kid? The same way. The same way. You know why that's powerful? Because love over time equals worth. It gives you a sense that you have value. Listen, you don't just have value because you were created in the image of a heavenly father. You have value because a heavenly father pursued you over time to prove to you that he loves you. And the most powerful thing that we can do as adults, the most powerful thing that we can do to kids is to show up again and again and again because it communicates something that nothing else can. Your presence communicates something that nothing else can. It makes a different kind of impact. And it communicates to the next gen that they have worth, they have value. This is why, man, I love hanging out with volunteers who are like, hey, Matt, I want to hang out with teenagers. And I'm like, awesome. But let me warn you for a second, because they're not going to like you at first. 
you're not cool. And you're going to feel shunned. You're going to feel like you're not making any difference, any, any kind of difference. But I always encourage them. I say, hey, just keep showing up. Because it communicates something that nothing else can. I don't care how many like cool high top Nikes you put on. I don't care what you dress like. There is something that your presence communicates that nothing else can. Is that no matter what, I'm going to be here. No matter what, I'm going to show up. And isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what he did for us? Because love over time equals worth. So keep showing up because it does something to the soul of a kid or a teenager. The second thing is words. Proverbs 18, 21, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. We understand that words are powerful, especially in a spiritual sense, but have we ever thought about leveraging time with our words when it comes to the next gen? Do you know that the average teenager hears one word of affirmation for every seven words of criticism? See, words over time does something to a kid or a teenager because somewhere along the way. I hope we understand that words are powerful. See, I, I love bringing research into, man, when, when I'm studying the Bible, because I love seeing that research and science is finally catching up to what God has been saying for a long time. I was reading this study by, the, by some neuroscientists, and they were telling us that preschoolers, that preschoolers, that words really matter to preschoolers. That if preschoolers are exposed to conversations and the right amount of conversations and the right amount of words, that by the time they enter into elementary school, because their brain is developing and the mapping is starting to take place, that the words that they've been exposed to actually start developing the brain and it starts giving them the things that they need when they get into elementary school. So what you say matters. What you don't say matters. Because here's what's happening. We're literally giving them the words that they need to navigate conflict. The right kind of words that they need to solve issues, to reason and to think with, to problem solve. And even this, the words that they need to explain and shape how they see God. Why? Because words over time give direction. Words over time give direction and you give a kid a sense of direction when you have conversations with you, with you, with them. That's why we believe the church should be the safest place for kids to have conversations. Listen, especially when it comes to, man, middle schoolers who are motivated by acceptance and they're asking questions like, who likes me? Do I like me? These identity questions. Listen, they, they're being bombarded by words. You know, the average adolescent takes in over 10,000 messages a day. So they're getting words, but are they getting the right kind of words, the right direction giving words? And adults, here's what I need you to understand, that unlike any other generation previously, something has changed in the last 10 years. It's shifted. We are no longer the source of information. We are no longer the primary source of words. We have, they have more of a sphere of influence. They've got more people giving them direction than they've ever had in the history of the world. 
And what I see is that a lot of adults go, ah, and they shy away from it. And they start, man, insecurities start to bring out. And man, man, the enemy is starting to like separate them from the next gen. And here's what I want you to do. Instead of like buying into that, I want you to lean into the next gen because you're no longer needed for information, but you are needed as an interpreter. They need you because words give direction and they matter. Listen, I, I've been reading this book and it's changed the way that I thought about words. It's changed the way that I thought about the way it gives direction and the way that I, I even see like parents and how they parent. If you got something to take, like write this down with, I want to share with you this book. It's called the Bible. <laughs> it was written a long time ago, but come on. What better words to give the next generation than the word of God? What better direction giving words to give than the one that created them? You know what the next gen needs? It needs a, a, a generation of adults who are so full of the word of God that when the next gen approaches them and they go, hey, I don't know who I am, they can go, let me tell you who you are. You're a child of God. You have been created by the heavenly father. You have purpose. You are full of grace and mercy. You are the righteousness of God that they can give direction, not from their own understanding, from the words that they get from God. I know sometimes we don't know what to say. That is okay. We know someone who does. Words give direction. They give direction. What we say matters. And then there's stories. Stories over time. You know that we're actually wired to learn from stories instead of just information? You know that's why in kids' church right next door, um, we teach them Bible stories. Not just information. Because stories engage kids in a way that raw data just can't. Educators tell us that if you take a preschooler and you read them stories, that it actually begins to develop empathy in them. Why? Because as you read them stories, their imagination starts to take over. This thing that God created inside of them starts to take over. And they begin to develop empathy because they begin to imagine what it feels like, what it looks like, what it is like to be that person. I love what Deuteronomy 6, 7 says. Addressing the nation of Israel, talking to a group of adults, he says, these are the commands that I give you today to be on your hearts. And then he says this, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Talk, tell them stories. Tell them stories because there is nothing that engages a child like a story and there is no story better to tell than the redemptive story of Christ and what he's done in your life. Listen, when I first started here at Creekwood, I actually taught Creekwood kids almost every weekend. That's where I cut my teeth. And I love teaching kids and I love telling them stories. And it was, I remember uh, the, the reactions that I used to get. My favorite reaction when I would tell them stories, we'd be talking about Daniel and the lions. And we're like, you know that there was this pit of lions, a hole with just a bunch of lions in it. And they would open it up and throw stuff in there and they'd tear it apart. We're like, and then Daniel for following God got thrown into a den of lions. And I remember, I love it. Just being in kids church and the entire group of kids go, <gasps> and they come to life. 
You know why? Because stories engage them in a way that words cannot just do that. Wouldn't our world be a little bit different if we understood how to leverage stories over time? Because real life stories of people make a difference. You know why? Because life is difficult. It's difficult. So what happens when their story doesn't play out the way they saw it going? Let me ask you a question. If I ask you what you're like, the best example of a family in the Bible was, who would you tell me? You ever thought about that? Would it be like Adam and Eve? I mean, like that's where problems kind of started for us, right? (laughs) That's where the dysfunction began. I mean, they had two sons, one killed the other one. That's messy. (laughs) What about Noah? Noah's a great story. Like he built this ark with his family and it was really cool to flood. And then, but then there's that part where he gets drunk and naked with his family. And that's, that's awkward. Okay. So I don't know about that one. Um, Jacob and Esau, there's a great story. We got a conniving mom, a naive dad, sibling rivalry. I mean, that's a good one. Okay. Um, what about Joseph and his loving brothers? There's a great family reunion. <laughs> Pretty decent. Mary and Joseph, there we go. Mary and Joseph. That's a great family. They raised the son of God. I mean, come on. But we always forget about that time where they left Jesus at the temple for three days, didn't even know he was gone. <laughs> I'm just saying, if child services was there back then, I mean... The point is, here's the the point. When I read about families in the Bible, I start to feel better about mine. (laughs) Why why, Why am I talking about this? Here's what I don't want you to miss. The stories of the Bible show us that God doesn't use perfect people, but broken people to demonstrate his love and his power and his grace and his redemption. So when I work with teenagers a lot, and one of the most heartbreaking things is that when they, when they come to you and you can tell their world has been broken because the, the story in their mind hasn't played out the way that they want, they're done. I don't know what to do with that. Their hopes and dreams are shattered. What would happen if we had a generation of adults who understood what it looked like to tell the stories of imperfect people so that when their stories don't go the way they saw it and they don't measure up, they don't give up because they know God hasn't given up. When your family turns a corner and things don't work out the way that you thought that they should go either and your story isn't running the way that you think it should go, that you invite your kids into that story and you tell them and you show them what it looks like to trust God, that he's not finished yet so that when they go through the same thing, they don't give up because they know God's still writing the book of my life here. He's got another chapter to go because stories over time, they equal perspective. And we hand a generation perspective by how we engage them with compelling stories. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down. Then there's this next one. And this one, I I just want to preface it by saying, I know this one isn't going to sound spiritual. 
okay? I don't think you guys understand what I'm saying. I realize this one is going to sound uh, maybe not very mature, um, but I promise you it is. Because the next one is fun. Fun over time. Because fun over time equals connection. Proverbs 17, 22, it says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up bones. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our what? Our strength. So by that verse, let me ask you a question. How, how strong is your home? How strong is the church? Because here's what I, I know starts to happen. Some of us in here, we're wired, we're wired to fix the next generation instead of have fun with them. Okay? And here's the thing. What many therapists will tell you is that fun actually reconnects what's broken. Fun over time actually authenticates forgiveness. Those are two things that the church and home needs, joy and forgiveness. You know, I know this. When's the last time you had fun with someone you hadn't forgiven? So when you discipline your kids, sometimes a little fun goes a long way. Because sometimes kids don't think we love them because we act like we don't like them. And it does something in their soul when we have fun with them. It says I matter. It says that you want to know me. That's why we have what we have this weekend because we want kids to know that they matter. They matter. So parents, I have some homework for you. Schedule some fun. And don't schedule it with an agenda because they will smell it, okay? <laughs> Just schedule some fun. Listen, the church, we're gonna schedule fun, but we're gonna have an agenda, all right? This Wednesday for students, sixth to 12th grade, um, we're gonna have an awesome time, but we're gonna have a color clash party. We're gonna throw paint at each other afterwards. That's what we're gonna do. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun. We're gonna have an agenda. I remember I was, I was hanging out with a, a volunteer that was like, hey, I wanna hang out with middle schoolers in middle ground, right through that door on our patio. We have middle school uh, ministry, sixth to, 12th, sixth to eighth grade right here. And I was hanging out with him and, and he observed his service and I was like, hey, what'd you think, man? Where, where do you think you could fit in? And he, he's like, man, Matt, I, listen, I, I know you guys know what you're doing, but all these kids are doing out here is having fun. He's like, look, I know you guys, ha you, you have your Bible time and you have your small group time, but like, what if we just like got rid of that and we just like studied Romans? And I was like, interesting. Um, I'm like, and, and inside my head, I'm, I'm screaming because I'm like, you don't get it. I'm like, adults, some adults don't even want to study Romans. <laughs> but here's, here's what we know. When it comes to kids, especially teenagers, if they're motivated by acceptance, fun is the bridge that we build to them to build a relationship so that we can have things like a time to speak words over them and tell them stories so that they understand who God is and who he's created them to be. Fun is crucial, it's important in how we do ministry. It's how we connect with the next generation. And so listen, this is why we tell you, man, you need to do anything you can to get your kids to camp, schedule your vacations around it because we know that fun equity that they're building is worth 20 Sundays that they have. That's why the bus ride to camp could change your kid's life because fun over time equals connection. Fun is a big deal and it matters. 
Because fun over time is connection. And the last one is this. I'm going to wrap it up here. It's tribes. Tribes over time. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. We have a generation walking around here constantly asking, where do I connect? Where do I fit in? And I know those are big questions to all of us. But to a kid or a teenager, this is huge. Parents, let me, let me tell you something about teenagers. Three things that are true. Number one, they care more about what their friends think than what you think. They care more about what other adults think than what you think. Number three, they care more about what you think than anyone else. You say, you just contradicted yourself. I know they're teenagers. They're just looking for a place to belong. The one thing that I think could change the next generation more than anything is an adult generation that understood that tribes over time equals belonging. Do you know what belonging does? Creates a sense of safety creates a sense of love, creates a sense of family. And like we said at the beginning, hey, parents, you're the number one influence, but kids need other adults in their life. Tribes over time equals belonging. Kids need a place to be known because if they can't be known, they will never belong. And this generation is not going to believe what they need to believe if they don't belong. So don't make the mistake of thinking, I only got so much time left. I got to cram it all in. I got to do it on my own. You need other adults. You need other people. You need teachers and coaches and you need young adults and you need man, other adults that just know, hey, parents, I'm going to come alongside you and help you help your kid, give them a sense of direction and give them a sense of belonging. That's why I'm so excited about Parent Resource Nights because Parent Resource Nights is simply a place where parents, you can come. Yes, you can develop some skills. Yes, we're going to bring in some experts to give you some resources. But more than anything, I want you to see other adults that you can be intentional about inviting them into your kid's life. Because tribes over time equals belonging. So again, Creekwood, I want to challenge you. It's time to step up. We only have a limited amount of time. So what if we leverage that time? What if we didn't grow tired of doing good? What if we didn't grow weary? What if we didn't grow unaware? What if we didn't grow, well, that's just their job. If we're at, a prop- at the proper time, We'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for today. God, and I thank you for your word. But God, I pray for the next generation. 
God, I pray that they would find a place. They find worth, direction, perspective, connection, and belonging. God, that you would use us. You would use us to leverage time to share all the great and wonderful things that you've done through our life so that we can help a generation behind us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like the content of this podcast, you're going to love our YouTube channel. Subscribe at youtube.com slash creekwoodchurch for video messages and full services uploaded weekly.